everything eventually comes down to a choice. In such a big world, so many choices. Here, in this little lost place, things are simpler. You'll find it because you are meant to. And inside, you'll find my lift and me. I'll take you where you need to go, and then you choose. Once you do, things will get much better, or much worse. <laughs> Find the lift at victoriouslift.com and also in iTunes at itunes.victoriouslift.com. sneered, staring the man down with bloodshot eyes. What of it? The other man continued on his way and ignored the comment. It's what I thought. So, you're drunk again, Leon. What else is new? Oh, that's right. Samantha left you. Why? Because you're a fucking bum. And now you're here at this stupid renaissance fair all by your lonesome. Happy motherfucker. Leon grunted and tried to clear his thoughts. I'll just have another beer. That might shut you up. He stumbled toward the nearest establishment that sold the golden problem solver and removed a crumpled handful of money from his pocket. One by one, he placed dollar bills on the counter, flattening them the best he could before handing them to the woman serving drinks. Hear me, Lord. Have a fine one. The wench's fake accent was good, but it still annoyed him. He lifted the red plastic cup and drank. The cold fizz felt good in his throat. He loosened the upper buttons on his shirt, exposing the sweaty mess of curly hair underneath. You're not going that route again, are you? Please, Leon, please don't take off your clothes here. It's a bad idea. Don't worry. I'm not that drunk yet. He leered at people dressed in medieval and renaissance-era clothing and scoffed. I don't see what's so damn great about all this crap. Samantha did. I don't give a rat's ass what she thinks. Well, why do you think she's gone, Romeo? I know why she's gone, and I'll tell you why. She couldn't handle the great Leon Winchell. (laughs) Great? (laughs) You're a loser. The word great does not apply to you. Welcome, sir. Welcome. A man approached Leon, bowed, and smiled brightly in spite of Leon's horrid appearance. You've come to see the show. I know you have. What show? My good sir, you've simply forgotten. Here's your ticket right here in your pocket. The man reached into Leon's coat and revealed a red ticket stub. See? There it is. I didn't buy a ticket, Leon said. 
But, sir, it was right in your pocket. Did you not see? Just get the hell away from me. Please don't be upset, me lord. I'm only trying to please. Forgive me, I beg you. Leon wiped the back of his hand across his mouth. No harm done, I suppose. Off with you. But, sir, if I may, there's the matter of your ticket. Obviously, I can offer you a refund, but wouldn't you rather see the show? I promise you, it's spectacular. It's right this way. The man pointed to a brown, ragged tent. It sat between two vendor booths, selling overpriced wooden swords and dragon puppets on sticks. Leon stared at the ticket for a moment, then up at the hot sun. Uh, I suppose I could use some shade. The heat is killing me. Excellent choice. Excellent choice indeed. Please follow me. As he approached the tent, Leon considered its size. It didn't look large enough for anything more than some kooky fortune teller. The hell am I getting myself into? You're going to have fun, Leon. Isn't that what you came here to do? Oh, I forgot. You just came for the overpriced beer. The strange man disappeared into the dark innards of the tent, and Leon followed. His head began to spin once he got in. The place was enormous, at least 50 times larger on the inside than it looked from outside. It's the alcohol. Probably just too drunk to know what the fuck I'm seeing. Stadium seating circled the large flat area in the center. The seats were lined with people. And on center stage, the strange man who led him in stood under a spotlight, waiting for the spectators to settle. Leon took a seat and waited to see what it was all about. The strange man looked around at the crowd with a giant grin. He held a wand in one hand and took a bow. Welcome, welcome. I'm glad you could join us. He stared directly at Leon as he spoke, ignoring everyone else in the audience. What you're about to see will mystify you, fill you with wonder, and maybe even scare the pants off you. I assure you, you won't leave without taking something away from this spectacular show. The man still locked eyes with Leon, and he shifted in his seat, hoping to break away. But the man kept with him, never taking an eye off of him. What's wrong with this guy? I don't know. Maybe he likes you. Fuck you. No. You mean, fuck yourself. Leon shook his head, trying to sober up, but it only made him dizzy. The tent spun around, the audience twirling his stomach into a wrenching knot of nausea. He put his hands to the sides of his head and closed his eyes in an attempt to stop the spinning motion. Don't be afraid. A whisper spoke in his ear. He opened his eyes and looked to those sitting next to him, but they were slumped over, half on the chair, half on the floor. They either fell asleep or passed out. Maybe they're drunker than I am. Old Leon Wenchell knows how to handle his liquor. But when he noticed the other patrons of the show dropping like flies, the entire scene took on an ominous tone. He watched them pass out in rows until he was the last one standing, and that bastard on stage was still staring at him. What the hell is this all about? It's only a game, the man replied. The lights went out, cutting off Leon's vision. He couldn't see a thing, not even the people next to him. The air suddenly heated up, the tent becoming a dark sauna. He struggled to get a breath, but the thick air clogged his already cigar-blackened lungs. He desperately needed to get out. When he tried to run, his legs would not follow. He pulled, but something held them firmly in place. His first thought led him to believe the people who toppled out of their seats had somehow entangled themselves around his legs, holding them down. He had some room to move his calf back and forth, but not enough to work his way out. Whenever he tried to pull up, his boot only moved about an inch before being caught up 
and wouldn't go any further. After trying a number of times, his foot felt loose inside his boot. Maybe if I can wriggle my foot out, I can get the hell out of here. Suddenly, both boots loosened. The laces untied, and they were removed from his feet without any effort on his part. Hey! Who the fuck took my boots? His voice echoed in the empty darkness. Good luck with them, buddy. They probably smell like ass anyway, he shouted, and instantly he realized how even in the crowd of people, unconscious and out of sight as they may be, he felt alone, and it stopped his heart for a moment. At first, he didn't know if he was just dizzy or actually falling, but either he fell to the floor or it came up and hit him. It didn't hurt, so he must not have hit it hard. But the sound rang out like he'd been slammed with enough force to break bones. A pale blue light emerged from the silent dark. Black, undulating figures circled around him from a raised platform. The audience, rows of chairs, everything was all gone. The glow behind them showed only silhouettes shaped like bowling pins, and they wobbled around in constant motion. Leon tried to sit up, but Clamps held his arms and legs in place. What the hell is this? Where am I? An undertone of noise came from the moving shapes, not from one or two, but from all of them at once. The room filled with a low hum, which he felt through the cold metal table against his back. Hello? He jerked his head around with clenched teeth and darted glances at the multitude of figures, still moving in their sickeningly hypnotic dance. Please! Someone answer! The humming intensified, drowning out his voice. At its peak, the table rattled, and his chest nearly burst from the intense vibration. Then it stopped. The following silence, almost more painful than the noise. He took deep breaths, struggling against his own body's response to fear, which was to hyperventilate. This is a dream, he thought. It has to be a dream. This is no dream. The voice came from all directions, as if every last one of those things spoke at the same time. He swallowed hard before speaking. Where am I? Please, someone tell me something. It is only a game. What does that mean? You are here. Where, damn you? You are where you are. That is all that matters. Leon's breathing intensified. His simple questions being met with such vague answers reddened his face. His fingers curled into fists. And if he could, he would have slammed them into the table demanding to know the details of his predicament. His anger seemed to invigorate the wavering blobs as their nauseating teeter-totter movements quickened. It pained his eyes to see them that way. There was something unnatural about it. He tried to close them, but they wouldn't shield him from the horrifying sight or the flights of imagination brewing in his thoughts like a foul stew. The thought of how they really looked unmasked by the blurry black blobs made every hair on his body stand at attention. It felt like static electricity flowing through his every nerve, accompanied by a tingling sensation under his skin that he desperately wanted to go away. The clamps released his arms and legs. For a moment, he was unsure whether or not to try to get up. Should I run? Where the fuck would I run to? A bright rectangular light blazed from the wall to his right. It was about the size of a door. He sat up slowly, still unsure what to do. There seemed to be an exit, but he had the taste of mistrust on his tongue. Thick, dry, and like bullshit. But with no other option, he committed to the only obvious choice he had. The figures continued their unwavering motion as he hobbled to the light. 
He repeatedly glanced at them, afraid they might all converge and smother him in darkness. That's what they had looked like. Pure darkness. Stepping through the door of light and back into the hot sun was like waking from a bad dream. He stumbled, then rubbed his temples in an attempt to alleviate the pounding in his head. When he looked back at the tent of horrors he'd escaped, he found that it was never there in the first place. It had been nothing more than an empty square of grass. You stupid shit. You passed out and had a nightmare. Now sober up and forget about it. Sober up my ass. I need another drink. Like so many mornings, especially those when Samantha still hung around, he woke up not knowing how the hell he made it home. No solid memories remained. They never did. He got out of bed, made a cup of black coffee, and tried to dull the throbbing in his skull before getting ready for work. Sitting in his bathrobe, he lit a cigar and surrounded himself in a cloud of smoke. He filled his lungs the way he'd filled his soul throughout life. With cancerous fumes that left a bad taste in one's mouth. He thought back on when he and Sam first met. Please don't tell me we're getting all weepy about her again. Leon threw his cigar against the wall and kicked over the coffee table. Newspapers, used dishes, and an overflowing ashtray spilled onto the floor. He ran to pick up the cigar, which had left a small black burn on the carpet. Everything else stayed where it landed. When he got to work, he noticed something different. Maybe it was coming back after a long weekend of drinking. Maybe it was the hangover. But he couldn't get rid of the ghost tickling the back of his spine. Its misty fingers told him something wasn't right. That maybe he shouldn't be there. Can I help you, sir? Samara, the receptionist, asked him with squinted eyes. She pulled her glasses up from the chain that hung around her neck and put them on. Morning, Samara. Leanne walked past her and toward the production room. Sir? She got up from her desk and went after him. Sir, you can't go back there. He turned on his heels. Uh, What do you mean? You have to sign in first. Sign in? What is this, some new policy? I'm not sure what you mean, but you can't just walk in there unannounced, like you run the place. I've been working here for five years. What the hell are you talking about? She gave him a strange look, one that made the ghost at his back jump right into his bones. Mr. Tomic? Mr. Tomic, I think you better get out of here. Samara spoke with a tremor in her voice. He came into the hallway, shifting his tie as he looked Leon up and down. What seems to be the problem? This man just walked in without signing in. He says he's worked here for five years, but I've never seen him before. Gerald Tomic gave Leon a good look. What's your name? What kind of joke is this? It's me, Leon. Leon? Leon Winchell. I work in production room too. Come on, Gerald. I don't have time for this. I gotta get started. Mr. Tomic whispered something into Samara's ear. She then gave Leon a quick glance and walked off in a hurry. Why don't you come into my office and we'll talk? Shit, am I getting fired? Probably. You worthless piece of shit. No, no, nothing like that. Come on, I'll get you some coffee. He followed Mr. Tomic to his office and sat across from him at his desk. So, what's this all about? Leon asked with suspicion in his voice, sure he was about to be on unemployment. How do you like your coffee? Black, Leon replied, thinking it an odd question. Gerald knew damn well how he liked his coffee. Gerald poured a cup and slid it across the desk to Leon. He then sat and rested his elbows on his desk. So, uh... So what's this all about? Gerald checked his watch, looked up at Leon and stood. I'm sorry. I forgot something. I'll be right back. He left in a hurry. Leon watched him practically run out of the room and down the hall. Even though he was about to be laid off, fired, canned, whatever you want to call it, he felt pity for the coward 
who couldn't get the words out. It gave him a certain satisfaction that at least it wasn't going to be easy to let him go. He had put in five years, after all. And besides, he'd be glad to not have to work in a factory that made makeup products anyway. He grew tired of lying about his job to nearly everyone he knew. But when he really thought about it, Gerald wasn't that kind of man. He was acting very strangely, avoiding the topic, avoiding him. He tried to think of what might have bugged him out so much, but nothing could come to mind other than maybe he felt guilty for having to fire him. After all, it most likely wasn't his choice. Gerald may run the factory, but he had his bosses to answer to as well. The clock ticked on, and Gerald didn't seem to be coming back. I'll give him a few more minutes, then I'm out of here. He tapped his foot on the floor until it matched the rhythm of the clock. His fingers provided the rest of the beat. Just when he was about to get up, he heard the footsteps of two men enter the office behind him. He knew who they were without having to look. The way their boots sounded against the tile their even footfalls, and the clang of the metal handcuffs on their belts. All too obvious to miss. Leon gripped the arms of the chair tightly as he considered his next move. Why are there two cops here? I don't know, Leon. Why? How the fuck should I know? How much did you drink yesterday? Oh, you don't remember. You must have gotten yourself into some kind of trouble. Sir, we're going to have to ask you to leave the building. The cop spoke firmly, and it wasn't a question. Uh, Sure, sure, Leon said, standing. No problem, I'll leave quietly. He inched past the two officers and headed for the exit. Gerald stuck his head out of another room to look at Leon. His face wrinkled and stared in fearful amusement. Why didn't he recognize me? That's a good one. Maybe he didn't want to anymore after what you've done. What I've done? What did I do? I can't fucking remember. I guess we'll find out when they arrest you. He opened the glass doors to the open air and breathed deeply, wondering if it would be his last taste of freedom. How long would he be in jail? Whatever he did, it must have been pretty bad. He waited for the police to follow him out and slap the handcuffs on. His stomach tightened when the doors opened behind him. This is it. Sir, you can't stay on the property. You have to leave. Stunned, he almost asked if they were going to arrest him or not, but decided it would be best to just go while he had the chance. He didn't bother to look back, just walked to his truck and got the hell out of there. The trees and houses sped past him faster than he drove each passing with a hard gust of air in his ears. The rapid swishing sound pounded in his head like a fist, beating his mind into confusion. Red. Red filled the cab of the pickup. Everything red. Black blobs appeared, disappeared, then reappeared again. They danced all over his vision. Ah, stop light, you dumb fuck! Leon stomped the brakes just in time. He wiped his forehead with his shirt sleeve. Uh, That was a close one. You nearly killed us. He pulled the truck off the road and cut the engine. His hands shook, tightly gripped on the steering wheel. Vague memories flashed like a strobe, the images bouncing around in his head as though his skull were made of mirrors. A dark place with a pale blue ambient light came through clear, but went away as fast as it had come. Flashes, not of light, but of darkness, flickered like a bad sodium bulb, inking out what little clarity his mind retained. Don't jump into the deep end if you can't swim, buddy. White foam sputtered from his quivering jaw and dripped down his chin. His body rattled like a bag of bones. Streams of blood ran from his ears and nose. Both eyes rolled back. If it weren't for his seatbelt... He would have thrashed himself around inside his truck. Luckily, it held him in place. (laughs) There are bats in your head now, pal. 
everything stopped, leaving a moment of pure silence and clarity, as if time itself ended. Then it all disappeared, his vision and his consciousness blinking out like an old television. When he woke up, things came back to him in pieces, but rather than confusing him, they started to come together, started to make sense. He still couldn't make out what the sense of it could be exactly, just that there was something to it. Only one option presented itself clearly in his mind. She doesn't want to see you. She hates you. He put his truck in drive and headed for Samantha's house. She's not going to help you. Her car was in the driveway. His chest tightened at the thought of knocking on the door. He found himself wishing she wouldn't answer. To see her face, not how it looked then, not how it looked in pictures of them together, but how it looked after. It would be her face, but a different one. He parked on the street and willed himself to go through with it. Each pound of his fist on the door thundered like a storm. The lock clicked and it opened. And there she was, standing with a blank expression, that different face he feared he would see. Can I help you? She asked. I know that you don't want to see me, and I understand, but I really need your help. She started backing away, shutting the door. Samantha, please. He put his palm against the door to stop it from closing completely. She held it firmly in place, but didn't try to push further. He could feel her trembling. How do you know my name? Who are you? What do you mean, who am I? It's me. Who? I don't know you. We were together for seven years. You know me. I've never met you before. Please leave, or I'm calling the police. He took his hand off the door and stared with wide eyes. Her too? Everyone's acting like they don't know me. I'm sorry to have bothered you. I I must have the wrong house. He started to back away, and she stuck her head out the door with a more curious look than the fear that had first been so apparent in her expression. He recognized those half-closed eyes, slightly opened lips, and slight tilt of her head to the left. Her curiosity had always been something he admired and despised, depending on the situation. Are you sure you have the wrong house? How do you know my name? Just forget it, he said. I mistook you for someone else. No, you didn't, she said. I can see it in your face. You recognize me. She always could tell when you were being dishonest. Maybe that little trick of hers is more than a lie detector. He turned his head and smiled. I don't know how to explain it, but no one recognizes me. Not my co-workers, not my friends, not even you. I probably sound crazy. It does sound crazy. But I don't know. I feel like I know you. Even though I'm sure I've never met you before. So you're not going to call the police on me? Not unless you try something, she smiled. He put his palms up. Don't worry, I'm harmless. Well, I'm not, she came outside and sat on the stoop. So who am I supposed to be? Where do you think we know one another from? We were married. But not anymore. No, not anymore. You'd think I'd remember that. Exactly, he said. That's what I don't get. I don't see how this can happen unless I'm crazy and I don't know it. You seem normal to me, except for the whole thing you're going through. How long have you been like this? Since this morning. What about yesterday? Her words rang like a bell. Yesterday? That's where this began, and the last place I remember being was the Renaissance Fair. Something bad happened there. (laughs) You're damn right it did. I think I know what to do. Thank you, Leon said, and ran to his truck. The parking lot was devoid of other vehicles, 
the expanse of empty space put an odd feeling in his gut. Maybe his instincts told him to stay away, to not go searching for answers. But he had nowhere else to turn. Finding out what happened, getting his life back to normal, it was the only thing that mattered. He parked and walked up the path leading to the grounds. Being completely alone in a place normally crowded with people left an eerie calm over the air. It felt like another world, even more distant from reality than the fantasy of living in another time. He started to remember where to find the tent. He wasn't sure what he would do if he found it. He wasn't sure he wanted to. But it didn't take long. It was right there, where he saw it last, between the two vendor booths. The empty patch of grass was replaced by the same tent he saw last time. Inside, the table he had been strapped to still sat in the middle. The soft glow from the balcony still lit the room, but the figures hiding in shadow weren't there. He walked to the metal table, which he could now see looked like an operating table. The hair on the back of his neck stood up. Then a sharp pain stabbed his neck, and everything spun before he hit the floor. He awoke, again strapped to the table. But this time, a man and woman stood over him. They looked like surgeons, with their green smocks and blue face masks. The recording implant nearly fried his brain, the woman said. Looks like it, but he's still functional. Let's remove it and see the results. Leon screamed in agony as they sliced open the flesh of his scalp. The buzzing of the bone saw grinding into his skull shot agonizing pain through every nerve in his body. After opening a hole in his head, they stuck a metal instrument in and pulled something out. They left him like that for a long time. He heard them talking, getting louder as they got closer. Looking up, he could see the congregation of black shadowed figures gathering on the balcony above. He is the perfect candidate. No one will realize he's different. Parents are dead, his friends and co-workers don't know him well. From the data, the only person who might compromise his change would be the ex-partner. And she isn't a factor. Perfect. Begin the procedure. They wheeled a machine with a long mechanical arm over the bed. A long spike protruded from the end of the metal appendage. One of the doctors leaned over and stared him directly in the eyes. Leon noticed something strange about them. The pupils were too large, their color too bright. I can't believe we've brought so many over already. We've been doing this a long time. I know. Only a few more years to go before stage two begins. Then I can go home. I hate it here on Earth. Stay tuned for a short Q&A with the author in just a moment. Today's episode featured a story by Lee Foreman. The Taking of Leon Winchell. If you'd like more information on Lee and his work, please visit leeandrewforeman.wordpress.com and follow him on Twitter at leeandrewforeman. Artwork for today's show was created by our new art director, Stephen Matico. If you'd like more information on Stephen and his work, you can visit him online at wideeyedotter.com and follow him on Twitter at s underscore matico. Don't forget to visit our sponsors. You can find all of them listed in the show notes for today's episode. As always, please share the terror, share the show and help us grow. The best support you can give us is to rate us in iTunes. Ratings are free. They mean a lot to us. Follow us on Twitter at Wicked Library. Find us on Facebook and subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google, everywhere, pretty much. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's almost the end of February. We do have the February issue coming up very soon with a special bonus story. 
You're also entered to win great prizes, get some additional content and more. You can sign up over at thewickedlibrary.com, which is also where you can pick up one of the cool Wicked Library t-shirts. And now, Lee Foreman. So my guest today is Lee Foreman, and we just enjoyed your story, The Taking of Leon Winchell. And uh, it's a fun little story. It's you know, it's it's interesting that it starts where it does and it ends up where it ends up. So tell me a little bit about what made you decide that this was a story that you wanted to tell. I mean, I know that as a writer, you probably experienced the same thing that a lot of other writers do, myself included, where you start to write a story and sometimes you finish it and you're like, well, that's not quite the story that I want. You might set it aside. What made you decide that this was one that you wanted to breathe some life into and to get out there into the world? Uh, well, it was an idea that I've been uh, floating around in my head for quite a while. And uh, I've always wanted to write an alien abduction story. Uh, that's always been one of the things that always scared me the most in the horror genre. Um, uh, watching uh, alien abduction movies always scared me as a kid. And uh, so it's a project that I, I always wanted to get done. Very cool. And you have a character that, uh, you know, we start off in the beginning and, and, and in, in the very beginning of the story, I think you do a really good job of making him a character that I enjoy disliking. Um, and as we kind of progress through the story, you, you kind of learn a little bit about why he is the way he is, um, which is always fun because you have that subtext that's going on. And then, you know, as you weave your way to the end of the story, it's it's kind of like the right things happen at, at the right time. So was it difficult for you to take a character, make us dislike him, and then at the end kind of feel a little bit sorry for him? Um, I actually didn't have too much difficulty with it. Yeah. Um, I I started out intending on making him easy to dislike, and then throughout the story I wanted to kind of give him some redeeming qualities so towards the end you could identify with him a little bit and even maybe feel sorry for him. Yeah. I did want to ask you, what are some of the things that you do to get yourself – in the writing mindset, because obviously when you're, you're diving into a story world like this, you have to kind of change the way that you're seeing the world and change your routine to keep yourself into that zone. So what are some of the things that you do that help you do that? Uh, it is, it is hard to get into that, um, into the groove of writing sometimes, uh, you know, life has all kinds of distractions, but, uh, I usually lock myself in my room shut everything off, shut my phone off and just kind of dive right in. And I, I, I take the character and I, I try to put myself in his shoes and try to kind of think how the character would think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that kind of gets me into the story because I kind of put myself into the story a little bit and, uh, try to make the character react how, how I might react. Right. Yeah, that's and and a lot of times I feel find that that becomes kind of a cathartic experience that uh, you end up exploring maybe some of those dark corners of yourself that uh, don't get pulled out into the open as often. Um, and it's 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 funny because you know a lot of people when they think of horror writers they think of these people that are very scary and creepy and I'm sure that there are some but I, as a whole most of the horror writers that I've met are some of the nicest and most well adjusted people I've ever met and I think it's because you know, we tackle those demons and we go down those dark pathways and we have a resolution at the end, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. I had a lot of fun, um, with, uh, the, the Leon Michelle character. Uh, it was great to just kind of make him kind of a, kind of a jerk to everybody. And he just has this bad disposition, which I in real life don't have. Yeah. Um, I'm usually, you know, kind to people, polite, and so it was really fun to dive into his character and just just be a jerk in the story, right? Uh, because it's something I don't get to do in in reality, right? Yeah, that's fun. Um, so what are uh, what are some of the things that work for you when you're going back through and you're hitting your second draft? Because obviously, as you go through your first draft, you're you're kind of getting everything laid out. And uh, do you do you usually wait a period of time, or do you kind of dive right back in? What's your your method for you know working on subsequent drafts? Uh, I usually wait a little bit because um, I feel like if I if I try to write the second draft right after I finished, I, I'm kind of looking at it, I kind of like uh, read past it. 
almost because yeah. I, I'm just remembering everything that I wrote as I'm reading. And if I, I find if I wait a little bit, I kind of see it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the main things I do that I find helps me the most is uh, I'll actually read the story out loud to myself. And um, that helps me uh, catch errors and uh, just see things in the story that I wouldn't see if I, if I just read it silently yeah. to myself in my head. Yeah, and I find for me that that a lot of times helps uh, in catching dialogue that might sound unnatural. Um, you know, that it looks good on the page, but when you read it out loud, you're like, no, that's not the way someone would actually talk. Exactly. Yeah, I, um, I go to a, uh, a writing critique group and uh, we read out loud at the group. Mm-hmm. And uh, we all learned a lot from reading out loud with dialogue that uh, the best thing to do with dialogue is to read it out loud to make sure it sounds right. Right. So I wanted to ask you also, uh, as a as a writer, uh, someone who's been drawn to the craft and, and sits down and actually puts in the hard work and the stuff that most people don't see, the hours and hours where you're working through a story and getting it down on paper, what attracts you and keeps you coming back to writing? Um, I, I love telling the stories. Um, I have so many ideas that I feel like I'll never finish them all. And, uh, so it's, it's really just motivational for me to, to get these ideas out there. And, uh, I enjoy writing them. I enjoy, uh, when people read them and, uh, it's just, it's all around enjoyable for me. Sometimes editing isn't so enjoyable, but, uh, I'm just, I, I love every part of it. Yeah. And, uh, I just love telling stories. That's the biggest part. You have to love to tell a story. And, you know, I think that we, we come to that, hopefully most of us by having a, you know, a childhood or, or growing up, having stories read to us and, you know, finding good books to read and falling in love with it. Um, and as we do that, I think we, we transition from being a fan of stories and we, continue to be a fan of stories, obviously, but being a fan of it and actually going in and, you know, becoming an actual storyteller. So I'm curious for you, was there a particular story or a particular incident um, that made you decide, you know what, Hey, I want to do this. I, I don't want to just read the stories and hear the stories. I actually want to make the stories. Um, I always knew I wanted to write uh, since I was about in high school mm-hmm. and uh, I tried it a few times and didn't have really any success with it. And uh, I've always been a fan of horror. Uh, I grew up on horror from when I was a child, watching horror movies. And uh, one day, I, I just, the idea came on me, why, why I should start trying to write horror. Yeah. And uh, from that day on, I've just been writing like crazy ever since. Um, as soon as I tried to write in the horror genre, it just came naturally to me. And uh, that was very inspirational to just keep going and keep doing it. Do you have particular subgenres that you're you find yourself drawn to, even if it's stuff that you don't write? Uh, definitely science fiction. Uh, I've made a lot of science fiction, and uh, I've always wanted to in- try to incorporate that into some of my stories. Excellent. Are there uh, things that we can watch for that'll be coming up soon? Uh, well, I do have a uh, web series on my website at uh, leeandrewforeman.wordpress.com mm-hmm. and uh, it was based on an entry I wrote for a writing competition last year uh, called David Wellington's Fear Project. Okay. And uh, I wrote this, it was a competition where there was a weekly writing challenge, uh, 250 words or less, and I wrote this piece and it just inspired um, a whole a whole story and so I've been Kind of, ser- it's like a serialized novella, and uh, that's available to read on my website. And uh, there's new chapters added periodically. Uh, I'm also working on a novel that I hope to finish this year. Oh, a lot of fun! Yeah, that's definitely my goal. Um, when I originally first started writing, I I tried to write a novel, mm-hmm. and uh, once I once I really started getting into it, I realized it was becoming kind of a catastrophe. <laughs> and uh, I've been so there. I said, you know, let me start out with some short fiction yeah. and, uh, you know, a more obtainable goal, you know, a, you know, start to finish short story and uh, just work on those. And, and I kind of put the novel idea aside for a little while. And uh, once I started getting the hang of 
you know, getting something finished, short stories. Uh, then I started getting back into the novel and working on that. And it started coming along much better. It's, uh, it's not a catastrophe anymore. So tell me a little bit about the novel. Is it something that, uh, that you, that it, I'm assuming it's going to be in the horror genre. I'm assuming it's going to be, have some sci-fi elements to it. Is it something you can talk a little bit about? Yeah. Um, actually it does, it does fit into the horror genre, but it, it, it's not specifically horror, um, which is odd for me cause that's what I write, but it's kind of horror sci-fi. It's, uh, it's a post-apocalyptic story and, uh, it's sort of a little bit along the lines of uh, like Sword and Green. Mm-hmm. It's a, a dystopian future uh, with like a tyrannical government and um, everyone lives in these uh, consolidated cities. Okay. And uh, the Tillian characters uh, escape the city and basically they're looking, you know, for someplace else to go, start a new life. You know, the grass is greener on the other side kind of a thing. Gotcha. And uh, so it's this adventure of them traveling through, you know, uh, this, this wasteland that is, you know, the, the world in the future. And, uh, you know, all these different things happen to them. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's very heavy on the sci-fi element. Well, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be something that's going to be fun for you to write based upon what your, you know, where your, your, your love of fiction lies. Yeah, I'm definitely having a lot of fun with it. Um, it it seems more enjoyable than it does like work. That's the key. <laughs> That's the key, I think. Well, I should point out too while we're talking that uh, you also uh, have written a story for my other little project, The Lift, which is uh, starring Victoria from the original podcast that I started doing, The Ninth Story, and uh, it's kind of fun because this week, uh, earlier this week, as this airs. Uh, we had the lift episode come out, the exchange, and now we're enjoying another story by you in the same week. So it's kind of fun to to be able to do that for you. Yeah, it is fun. Uh, I really enjoyed doing this. Uh, it, it's a novel experience for me to uh, hear my my work in audio format, which I've never done before. Uh, all my previous work has all been in print, and uh, listening to it you know, with narration and the music in the background and everything was uh, absolutely wonderful. Yeah. It's a lot of fun to do. And it's, it's one of the things that keeps me coming back to it because, you know, I mean, I talked earlier about writing and the work that's involved with that, obviously converting something from a written form into audio is a lot of work. Uh, You know, there's layers to that in terms of the narration and the character voices and the music and just putting it all together. So that's a lot of work, but the, the rewarding thing for me has always been, getting comments from the authors, you know, like, uh, you, re- you really made me hate that character more than I did when I wrote them. Or, you know, I wrote the story, but that scene scared me. I was worried for my character. So that's the fun of, of, you know, taking a story in that written form and converting it back into that old style. All of, everybody sat around the campfire in the old days, listening to the storyteller tell the story. So, you know, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, trusting me with your stories and, and letting me bring them to life for you. Yeah, it's it's been a great experience all the way around. Excellent. So, real quick, you want to give out? I know you gave out the link to your web series. Are there uh, places where folks can connect with you and find your work and and talk to you about your stories? Um, basically, on my website, leandrewforman.wordpress.com, uh, there's links to uh, all my work on there. The web series is on there. Um, that's basically the place to go for anything related to me. Um, all there okay and uh i can also be found on facebook and twitter the old social media got to be active on the social media yeah. these days <laughs> absolutely it's a lot of fun I've, I've built some really interesting connections and, and made some really good friends through the the use of social media and uh just you know getting exposed to what their work is and what goes behind it and, and that sort of thing so it's a lot of fun and you're, you're pretty interactive i've noticed on both mediums so it's uh, it's it's some place where definitely folks that like your work can you know connect with you and, and share some some thoughts and some ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, social media for me has has been uh, one of my greatest tools uh, for writing. I've actually uh, met a lot of other writers on there, and it's actually opened up a lot of doors and and opportunities for me that I otherwise wouldn't have had without uh, social media. 
Yeah, it really makes people a lot more accessible than than any other time in history, I think. Definitely, yeah. Well, Lee, I do appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat. I know it's your weekend. We're talking on a Saturday here. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to sit down and talk to everybody. And, uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that everybody enjoyed the stories and they'll, they'll follow you on your, your uh, social media accounts and also check you out on your website and find uh, the other work that you have out there. Absolutely. It's been great. All works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyrighted of their respective creators and may not be used in any form without their permission. Dramatic reading performed by Daniel Foytek. That's me. The voice of the librarian was performed by Nelson W. Piles. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. The Wicked Library theme was written by Anthony Rousick and performed by Novus. All other music in this episode was performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and used with his permission. You can check the show notes for titles and credits. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, NinthStory.com. Producer, Daniel Foytek. Executive producer and creator, Nelson W. Piles. And art director, Stephen Matico. Music director, Nico Vitaze of We Talk of Dreams. And those two gentlemen will be joining us again on March 1st to take up their duties. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at www.thewickedlibrary.com forward slash 621. Until next time. This has been Daniel Foytek. Go ahead, leave the lights on. Makes it easier for the doctors to put that thing in your skull. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Listen, The M Writing Podcast, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.